Hi, this is Nathan. My passion is to provide Christ-centered Bible teaching and resources that glorifies God and will encourage and equip you to grow spiritually and live a Christ-centered life. If you would like more resources to help you understand the Word of God and cultivate a passionate love for Jesus that turns the world upside down, please visit deeperchristian.com. Now, grab your Bible as we dive into this message from God's Word. Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 11. And we're just like changing all things up today. I figure since Eric and Leslie, I guess they just got back, but since Eric's not doing Daily Thunder today, I'm going to go totally off script, bounce out of all of my uh, series and just do something different and fun. So <clears throat> uh, I've been looking at Matthew chapter 11, uh, I don't know, last several weeks, uh, more just from a personal study standpoint, and uh, brought it up during the alumni summit a little bit to uh, those who did the breakout session and just thought I'd bring you in on, on the passage. <clears throat> uh, it's interesting, we, you know, we live in a day and age where the common response to the question, how are you doing, tends to be either busy uh, or tired or, oh, my life is full, uh, or some of us try to be more spiritual and we just say good. You know? <laughs> that way we don't have to clarify what's really going on. <clears throat> uh, but it's interesting, it seems like the culture as a whole is just overwhelmingly burdened and tired and exhausted and being stretched to the limits and, and everyone's just you know, burning out and all this kind of stuff. And it's interesting, as you come into Matthew chapter 11, uh, Jesus is purposely focused and addressing a key issue in his day, uh, which I want to give you the context for, <clears throat> but I think, it, I think it deals a lot with what we're dealing with uh, in, in the modern church today. Uh, but in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says in verse 28, and it's going to be a very familiar passage to you, uh, but Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, come to me. <clears throat> Come to me, all you who labor and are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I don't know about you, but even just reading that just makes you just kind of go, oh. Just sounds relaxing, you know. It's just like a blizzard, wintry day, and you're like, you know what sounds nice? Going down to the beaches of Florida, where it's 70 degrees with a cup of lemonade, and the waves are crashing in, and you're just like, oh, that just sounds delightful. Are we leaving this afternoon? I'll bring my book and nothing else. I don't need anything else. Let me just let me just enjoy that reality. So let me read this again, just so we can all take a breath one more time. <laughs> so Jesus says, "Come to me." All you who labor and are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, it's interesting as, you as you're looking at the passage, <clears throat> each of those three verses kind of becomes its own little outline, if you will. Uh, verse 28 is this invitation to come to Jesus. And when you do, you are promised rest, which is encouraging. Uh, verse 29 is the invitation to follow Jesus in discipleship. And when you do, the promise is rest. 
And then verse 30 is just a recapping of that whole thing. And it's the declaration that there is a light burden for those who follow Jesus. And what I just thought would be kind of fun this morning is just to kind of walk through these passages with you and just kind of give you an insight of what I think Jesus is trying to communicate and uh, maybe how that can practically apply into our lives uh, today. So verse 28 then begins with an invitation. It says, come. Aren't invitations wonderful? I mean, an invitation is different than a command. An invitation is different than a requirement. An invitation gives you the ability to respond. So you can choose to get in on this. You can choose not to have this. That totally is your choice. But there is an invitation. And just like an invitation to a great party or an invitation to a, you know, a family gathering or an invitation to something special, <clears throat> the fact that you're even invited means that there is a, an assumption that there is relationship. So it's just a fun thought that Jesus is inviting you into something. And hey, you don't have to you don't have to participate if you don't want to participate. You don't have to do anything if you don't want to do anything. But if you want to get in on this thing, and if you want to respond, there is an invitation, and the invitation is coming out of the relationship that Jesus has with you. So again, Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me. And so there's this invitation beckoning you somewhere. Now, <clears throat> it's interesting that verse 28 the invitation really is to come out from something, and verse 29 is an invitation into something. So in verse 28, again, it says, come to me, and then here's the qualification. So see if this applies to you at all. All you who labor and are heavily burdened, and the promise is I will give you rest. So hey, if you are tired, if you're exhausted, hey, if you are worn out, hey, if you are just full of these burdens, and you're just, you've been pulled, you're, you're uh, you're thin because of the labor. Oh, hey, this invitation is for you. Hey, if you've been searching and you can't find, hey, if you've just been toiling and you can't find reprieve, this invitation is for you. Now, that word for labor, come to me all you who labor, uh, that word, let me just give you some definitions. I love this. The word can be translated weary or tired or toil, but it's the idea of exhausted or tired through overuse or great strain, or stress. So it's tired from, you know, hard toil. It's hard, all this working kind of stuff. So at the end of a long day, you're like, whew, I am tired. It's that idea, but this is like multiple of those put together. And you're just like, when is it ever going to stop? Kind of an idea. Uh, and the heavy, heavy laden idea is this idea of carrying a load or a burden. And really the picture is like a big galley ship, and there's all the you know, the stock or the crates, and all this is being weighted down in the ship. And so here you are, you are burdened down, and you're, you're full of all this weight, and you're just, you're trying to carry all this stuff across the ocean. <clears throat> and the promise is, if you're feeling that way, the promise is rest. Now, you need to understand the context if you're really going to get what Jesus is saying. The whole context of verses 28, 29, and 30 is in this idea of religious duty. Now, I do think it bespeaks of those who are just hey, you've been going like crazy and you're tired, Jesus is your rest. So I think there is a legitimate understanding in that, which I think is what we all need in this culture. However, the immediate context is religious duty, obligation, requirement kind of stuff. You realize that for the Jews that Jesus is talking to, the labor, the burden that they were carrying in terms of Jewish religion and the obligations and the requirements and the 
that thing was immensely heavy. Uh, not only did you have the Old Testament law, then you had the, the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, that whole group. They had their oral tradition on top of it, which was we, we come to the Old Testament law and say, okay, God tells us uh, keep the Sabbath. God tells us do not murder. God tells us honor your father and mother. But what do, what do those actually mean? And so what the scribes and the Pharisees did is they got together and through a whole bunch of centuries came up with 613 oral traditions. Oh, that awesome? To tell you how to live out the law of God. And so as you're walking through these 613, by the way, there are 248 positives. You should do this, which means there are 365. You shall not do this which I think is awesome because that's one for every single day of the year. So the burden of this thing was immense, if you can just ponder this. And of course, you know, how, how do you live out the Sabbath? How do you live out honoring your father or mother? How do you live out these things? And so the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees had this whole list of, hey, this is what you do. This is what that looks like. This is what you can and what you cannot do on each of these kind of days. Uh, these guys were so intense uh, we know that the command was that you were to give a tenth unto the Lord. So of, of all your flocks, of, of all your, you know, of all your farming, of all, I mean, anything that you have, right, of your harvest, you are to give a tenth to. They were so particular about the tenth thing that uh, when they would grow like mint leaves or basil and that kind of stuff, uh, when they were going to, they would pluck a leaf to use in the cooking or to make tea or, you know, that kind of stuff. They would literally take the leaf on a chopping block and they would divide that thing into 10 pieces and then take one of them and put it in a pile to give to the temple. Why? Because the Lord said a tenth. I would have just taken every tenth leaf. That seems easier to me. But, you know, nonetheless, this thing was intense. Could you imagine the burden of that, living under that kind of, just that legalism and that obligation and, and that requirement and that, uh, some of my favorite ones to look at are the uh, Sabbath day law stuff. And we know that there was like the Sabbath day, uh, how far you could walk. Right? It was all based on the old tabernacle in the time of Moses. So the distance from the furthest tent to the tabernacle <clears throat> in the wilderness was a Sabbath day's journey. So you could go from here to here and back, but that's as far as you can go. And that just kind of kept as the tradition. So even in the book of Acts, you hear him talking about the fact that they went a Sabbath day journey from, from Jerusalem, meaning what? It's that distance. And according to the oral tradition, you could not go further. Because the moment you take another step further, that's considered work, which means you're disobeying the, the Sabbath. Uh, they had crazy things like, you know, you couldn't uh, thread a needle. Because, hey, a tailor threads needles, and that's work. So if you thread a needle on the Sabbath day, hey, you, you can't do that. that. That breaks the law. Uh, they had stuff like you cannot tie knots. On the Sabbath day, that was considered work. So my, I, I share this all the time, but the, the, pond, or the, the quandary then becomes, if I forgot to, to go and get water before the Sabbath starts, how on earth am I going to get water? I need water for my family and my, my flocks. What am I going to do to get water? Because if I go over with my bucket to the well, I cannot tie that rope to my bucket because that's considered work. So we have a dilemma. So what am I going to do? Well, they found loopholes, which is interesting because that's what legalism causes you to do. The moment you want to live under legalism, you have, you, have to, you have to find loopholes. And so as the story supposedly goes, 
I, I'm not making this up. I'm just. Uh, it was wrong to tie a rope in knots, but it was okay for a woman to tie her garter. So if you forgot to dry your water, you couldn't take the rope and put it on the bucket to get the water, but you could cheat the system and take your wife's garter and tie that to the bucket and lower that down, and apparently that was okay. This is irrational. I mean, this makes no sense to me at all. And of course, if you, if you, if you look at modern-day Judaism, they've kept all this junk. I'll use that word kindly, but it, it's just legalism. I remember being in Israel, and uh, one of our Hebrew tour guides, she was, a, she was a Christian, and she was just mentioning the fact that every, you know, on the, on the certain holidays, the Jewish holidays, they have to remove all the yeast from the house. And she says, it is so crazy to me. I get a phone call from one of my good friends every single year. And she calls me up and says, hey, I've got about this much yeast I need to sell. Would you be willing to buy this much yeast for a dollar? And she says, sure, I'll buy that much yeast for a dollar. And at the end of the, of the holiday, she gets a phone call and says, hey, I really need about this much yeast. Do you mind if I buy that much yeast for a dollar? And she says, sure, I will sell you that much yeast for a dollar. And she says, we never trade money. We never even trade yeast. But because it's no longer her yeast, she can now have it in her house. Do you know what that's called? That is legalism. Uh, if you ever get to go to Israel, which you need to figure out how to do that, uh, but if you ever get to go, when you're in the hotels, make sure you be careful on, this, on the Sabbath day what elevator you get into. Uh, the first time I was in Israel, I went in just Everyone was waiting for an elevator. Then this one opens up and no one goes in. I'm like, that's ridiculous. I'm going to go. So I get in the elevator <clears throat> and I push my button <clears throat> and it just goes up the next floor and the door is open. I'm like, oh, that was weird. So I push the button and the doors close and go up the next floor and opens them. And I realized I had gotten into the Shabbat elevator. And the Shabbat elevator was created because if a Jew is staying in the hotel and I get in the elevator, if I push a button, that's considered work. And we don't want you to work on the Sabbath day so we create the elevators so that all day long, all it does is go from floor to floor, open the door, close the door, up the floor. So just, I mean, that's all it does is up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And all it does, that's all it does all day long. So you don't have to push the button. You may have to wait a while, but you don't have to push the button. Do you know what that's called? Ridiculous. Oh, sorry, it's legalism. <laughs> you know, that's what it's called. So could you imagine the weight that the Jews of Jesus' day must have felt, must have been under? And what's interesting is what they called that pressure, so the religious teaching, so a rabbi would show up in a town and he would teach, what they would call that teaching was that rabbi's yoke. That make sense? So again, the yoke idea is the whole farming instrument you put on, you know, put on the necks of the ox and it helps you carry these heavy weights or it helps the ox pull these heavy weights uh, to do the farming. But the rabbi's yoke was the teaching and the pressure and the regulations that they had uh, on the students. So think about what Jesus is saying. He says, look, I understand you are full of labor. Hey, look, I understand you are burdened down by all of this weighty stuff that the Pharisees and the scribes are putting upon you. There's all this religious duty and, and all this legalism and all this stuff that's happening. And Jesus says, but I am going to give you rest. Take my yoke. Hey, take my teaching upon you. Because when you do, you will find actually rest for your souls. Isn't that an encouraging thought? And of course, Jesus was constantly pressing against the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus never broke the law, but he did break the oral tradition all the time. Of course, you know, he would go and he would heal on the Sabbath day. 
Right, he'd go to the synagogue. Uh, here was this person who was lame or sick or whatever, and he would go over and he would heal them. And the Pharisees and the scribes got all bent out of shape. And they're like, "Look, there are six days of the week where you can heal. So if you're going to heal somebody, do it on one of those days." Which still makes no sense to me, because if you saw an incredible miracle of God, where someone, you know, was deaf and now they could speak, or they're lame and now they can walk, and you get all bent out of shape, you're going. Do that one one of the other six days. I've been like, what on earth? They just started walking. Like this is, I'd be more astounded by the fact that they're walking, not what day it is. And Jesus is like, what do you, you guys lead your ox and your sheep and your donkeys out for the water. He's like, so I'm freeing them from the, the, the burden of, of Satan. And I'm setting them free. So Jesus was constantly breaking oral tradition. Uh, he wouldn't wash his hands properly. Uh, his disciples went through the grain field and, and they began to do some of the harvest stuff and so they could eat, eat the grains, right? And the Pharisees got all bent out of shape. Uh, Jesus' big discourse in Matthew uh, 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, it says in the end of chapter 7 that when Jesus finished speaking, it says everyone was amazed. It's like their mouths were hanging open and they were just, just overwhelmed by the reality of, we have never heard teaching like this. Well, that makes sense because the scribes and the Pharisees are putting the weight down. And what is Jesus doing? Saying, hey, look, my teaching is actually not that burdensome. It's actually light. So look at this invitation again in the context. He says, come, come to me, all you who labor and are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. And that word there before give you rest, by the way, I, I love this idea. It's the Greek word anapazo. Uh, which is really just two Greek words put together. Ana, which is ide- this idea of in the middle of, and then pazo, which is kind of where we get our word pause, but it's the idea of rest, to remain, uh, to cease. It's that kind of an idea. So it's being in the middle of rest or being in the middle of ceasing or, hey, just get smack dab in the middle of stopping is what Jesus is saying. And the word itself, I love this, it literally means to cause someone to take a break from their activities in order to be refreshed. So Jesus, hey, if you are full of labor and are heavily burdened, hey, here's, here's my promise for you. Here, let me give this to you. I promise that I'm going to force you to take a break from all your activities so that you'll be refreshed. Isn't that just, that's relaxing to me. In fact, it reminds me a lot of Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. In green pastures. And it's an encouraging thought that even if you don't want to lie down in the green pastures, he will make you lie down in green pastures. And uh, we were studying this some years ago or months ago with some of our students, and uh, one of our students was a horse person. Weren't you there? I think you Anyway, there's, there's a horse person. And she said, It's interesting, there's times where you have to force your horse down. And she says, Actually, that seems like the idea here. And the best, the best picture I have for me is here you are and Jesus kicks your feet out from underneath you and pushes you down and says, stay there. I'm giving you rest. You will be refreshed. I don't know about you, but some of us need that. Because <laughs> you know? we just go, 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 go. We're feeling the pressure. We're feeling the burdens. And what does Jesus promise? Hey, I, hey I'm going to cause you to cease from all that so that you'll be refreshed. I'm going to kick your feet out from underneath you. I'm going to shove you down and hold you there until you are refreshed. And of course, we understand that if we go forever and we get sick and we're in the hospital, you are being forced 
to slow down. But wouldn't it be neat if you didn't have to go to the hospital? <laughs> Just thought. Uh, so that's verse 28. Verse 29 then, all right, right? So verse 28 is an invitation away from something. Hey, come out from your burdens. Hey, come out from your religious duties. Hey, come out from all the legalism. Hey, come out from all of just that, hey, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this kind of stuff. Hey, come out from all that and take up my rest. Now, verse 29 then is an invitation, but the invitation is to take up something, which I almost find ironic. Jesus says, hey, throw off all the burden. Here, now I want you to do something. Now take my burden. What? I just gave up my burden. Jesus says, I know you're supposed to throw off your burden. Now I want you to take up a burden. Well, what burden am I taking up? He says, my burden, my weight, my yoke. Take up my teaching, says Jesus. He says, and if you take my yoke, right, specifically talking about his teaching, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That word learn actually means to be discipled. So, hey, come and disciple under me. Now, just again for context, we hear that and we think teaching. We think, oh, let's go to Ellerslie discipleship training, right? And spend a few weeks and learn discipleship. But that's not what Jesus is referring to here. I mean, yes, please come to Ellerslie. But that's not what he's referring to here. What he's referring to here is not just a teaching or a set of teaching or, hey, buy this book and learn discipleship. The word here, learn from me or be discipled by me, really is this idea of take on my life. And maybe the best way to understand it is the old uh, apprentice idea, which, of course, we've gotten out of as a culture, right? But back in the day, you go a few hundred years ago, and I, I hey, I want to be a blacksmith. And so what do I do? Well, I go find the blacksmith in town, and I say, look, here I am, a 12, 13, 14-year-old kid. I, I want to be a blacksmith. So could I train under you? And the black, blacksmith says, sure. When are you going to move into the house? Well, I, I just want to learn blacksmith stuff. He goes, no, that's not how it works. If you are going to be trained by me, you're going to live with me. Hey, you're going to see how I, how I function, how I treat my kids, how I treat my wife. You're going to see how I wake up. You're going to see how I keep my tools. You're going to see how I'm not just going to teach you the process of blacksmithing. I'm going to teach you the life of a blacksmith. And that really is more the idea of what Jesus is talking about. He, it's not just, hey, will you learn some Bible scriptures so you can do really well in Bible quizzing? This isn't, hey, will you learn some good teachings so that you can, you know, pass the true and false test? This is, hey, will you take on the life? What were the disciples actually doing? They were living with Jesus. They were constantly walking with Jesus. They were learning the life of Jesus, not just the teaching of Jesus, but the very nuance of the very life itself. And the teaching really only makes sense in the middle of the life. Does it make sense? So Jesus says, hey, take my teaching upon you, but what that really is going to have to demand of you is that you take on my life. Take on my lifestyle. Hey, live like I live. Hey, do what I do. So don't just learn how to be a blacksmith. Hey, live with the blacksmith. And at the end of, you know, five, ten years, you'll, you'll, that blacksmith stuff will be so ingrained, you just can't help yourself. That's kind of the idea here in the passage. And then Jesus gives you his character. So this isn't just like, well, hey, come come disciple underneath me. Hey, come follow me. He actually tells you his very character. He says, I am meek and lowly in heart. Uh, the word there, meek or, or gentle, means humble, gentle, or mild. And the word there, lowly, means marked by meekness or modesty, not arrogant, and not prideful. He says, do you know who I am? This is who I am. So will you come and will you live under my life? 
Hey, would you come and would you take on my life? Hey, would you disciple underneath me? Hey, will you take my yoke? And when you do, the promise is you will find rest for your souls. Now, what's interesting is that word rest here in verse 29 is, has a slightly different nuance than the rest in verse 28. So again, the rest in verse 28 has this idea of causing someone to take a break from their activities in order to be refreshed, right? God's going to take you, kick your feet out from underneath you, push you down, hold you down, stay there, be refreshed. The rest in verse 29, let me give you the definition. I think this is so phenomenal. The rest in verse 29 is a ceasing from activity that results in a feeling of refreshing tranquility and an absence of tension or worry. Isn't that wonderful? I'll read it again. Uh, In verse 29, that rest is a ceasing from activity that results in a feeling of refreshing tranquility and an absence of tension or worry. I don't know about you, but refreshing tranquility, tranquility and an absence of tension and worry sounds blissful. I mean, I want that. And Jesus says, hey, if you want that, hey, live under my life. Take on my life. Because when you take on my life, you're going to find this refreshing tranquility and an absence of tension or worry. And you're going to find that in your soul, which is the very center of who you are. So it's like your heart, mind, will, emotions. All that stuff is, hey, you're going to find deep rest. Anybody want it? (laughs) It's just like, sign me up. And then he closes in verse 30, and he says, hey, again, my yoke is easy. That word easy uh, means easy, fine, fine, kind, loving, benevolent. It can also be translated soft, mild, pleasant, not harsh, not stern, not severe. And he says, hey, my, my yoke is actually a delight. Hey, my yoke, there is no burden in my delight. He says, my burden is actually light. And that word light actually means insignificant or not heavy. So isn't it a neat thought that to serve Jesus actually is not to be a burden? That to come under the life of Jesus is actually not to be a heavy pressure. A lot of us think that living Christianity is like a little fish trying to swim up river and you're striving with all your might just trying to make it and hold on to the next breath. That's actually not Christianity. Do you know what Christianity is? Christianity is more like sitting in an inner tube floating down a river. Just stay in the tube. Now, that doesn't mean life is going to be easy. So just because the yoke is easy does not mean life is easy, just for clarity's sake. You were promised hardship. Congratulations. You were promised suffering. Well done. Hey, you're promised persecution. Get in line, right? I mean, just you're promised difficulties in this life. So it's not saying that life is going to be, you know, a skip in the meadow and, you know, birds chirping in the air and skittles are falling from the sky. It's, that's not the life that we're called to. We are Christians, which means life is going to be difficult. Hey, there are going to be hardships and there is going to be pain and there is going to be pressure. And, but Christianity itself is not a whole bunch of religious duty. What is Christianity? It's sitting in an inner tube floating down the river in Jesus. Now, there are rapids. There are big rocks that you may bump into and it may hurt. You may jab a finger once in a while. People may throw mud on you. Hey, we understand that. But this isn't to be a toil. This isn't supposed to be a striving. This isn't supposed to be a struggle. Christianity actually is an easy yoke. And I don't know about you, but that is a challenge to me. Because I read scripture and I'm like, oh, more to do. 
I read scripture, I'm like, oh, that's a lot of pressure. I read scripture, and it's just like, I don't know if I can live up to that one. And if you're in that boat and you're thinking that, do you know why you think that? It's because you're trying to do it yourself. And what the word has become has been religious duty and do's and don'ts and legalism and pressure. And, and what Jesus promises, hey, you don't have to live under that. Live under me. Hey, you can actually take all that burden, all that stress that's been put upon you and just throw that to the side and take up my rest. Hey, when you take up my teaching and my yoke, you're actually going to find it light. Do you know why? Because he's actually enabled you to do it. He actually lives inside of you to do it. And it's interesting that the character or the weight of the yoke is based on the the master who puts the yoke upon the animal. I don't know if that made any sense. In other words, the idea of yoke, it's interesting, sometimes that yoke word is used in the context of slavery. Right? It's this idea of obedience. That you are going to obey something. So you can either obey the flesh, which leads to destruction, according to Romans chapter 6. Right? You can, you can really come under a yoke of religiosity, of religion, which is legalism stuff. Right? And you have all that pressure and all that weight and you're trying to reach into your own pockets and you're trying out of your own effort to produce this religious life which is going to be miserable because you can't do this. Or you can take on the yoke of Jesus and you're actually going to find that light. Why? Because he enables you to live it. That, yeah, you don't have it in your pockets. Hey, you've never been able to do this. And as my good friend Ian Thomas often said, you can't, but he never said that you could. He will, and he always said that he would. So you realize that what we're doing is making this phenomenal exchange of saying, Jesus, hey, I, I am going to obey something, but I'm choosing to come under obedience to you. And again, if you're obedient to sin, do you realize the master of sin has a lot of pressure? Because the character of that is just... But if I'm going to take on the yoke of Jesus, it's all based on his character. Which is what? Meek and lowly. It's love. It's kind. He's gentle. He's patient. He's peaceable. And so if you're going to take on that yoke, you still got to obey. And I'm not going to say it's easy in the sense of like, he's going to ask you to do difficult things. So again, it's not, we're not talking skip in the park kind of stuff. But you don't have the burden of religion upon your shoulders. Christianity is not a religion. It's not. I mean, I know everyone says it's a world religion. Okay, fine. Call it whatever you want. But actually, it is not religion because we don't have a checklist. We have a life. His name is Jesus. So Christianity is relationship, not religion. It's all about intimacy. It's all about oneness. It's and when you're wrapped up in relationship with him, that burden actually is rather easy. Because what is, what is the boundaries of your life? Jesus. What's the standard for your life? Jesus. And if he is living inside of you, and he's enabling you to live out his life, like I've never once thought, I need to not murder today. Maybe today will be the first day. But I've never had that thought, you know, Nathan, don't murder today. Never had that thought. Why? Because the life of Jesus is dealing with the hatred stuff. And Jesus says, hey, don't hate. And when I live inside of you, I'm going to begin to remove all that hatred and frustration and all the anger stuff. 
And if, hey, if he's dealing with hatred, murder is the last thing on your mind. Hey, if God is dealing with lust stuff, adultery is the last thing you're going to be doing. Does that make any sense? So this is not a religious burden of, hey, don't do all these things. This is, hey, if you get wrapped up in Jesus, what you're going to find is actually it's going to be a light and life-giving. Not only because his burden is light, but because he's now living inside of you through his spirit, enabling you to live out the, the reality of the Christian life. Isn't that an exciting thought? Uh, let me read this again to you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavily burdened. And again, the context is religious duty and all, all the legalism and all that kind of stuff. I do, I do think there is some space in the passage for those who are just exhausted. And life has just worn you down. Because the reality is that Jesus is our rest. And he does grant sleep to those whom he loves. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but again, if you're feeling weighted down, hey, if you're feeling heavily burdened, Jesus invites you, come to me, all you who labor and are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hey, will you, will you remove your burden and take on my burden? Because the burden you're trying to carry is just, it's going to crush you. It's going to kill you. Jesus says, hey, will you take on my burden? It is light. It is easy. It is, in fact, there is no weight at all because I'm going to carry everything. So will you just trust me? Will you get all wrapped up in relationship and intimacy and just live out my life? And when you disciple underneath me, you're going to find that you will have life for your souls. Let's pray. Lord, we do love you. Uh, Lord, thank you for your promise of a, an easy yoke. Rest for our souls. And Lord, perhaps we do need you to kick our feet out from underneath us and hold us down to the ground and pin us there until we are refreshed. Or perhaps, Jesus, the, the promise of a feeling of refreshing tranquility and an absence of tension or worry is what we need. But Lord, those are only found in you. Lord, I pray that if we've been looking at Christianity as a whole bunch of do's and don'ts and religious duty and obligation, when to stand up, when to sit down, what to say, what not to say, what to do, what not to do, Lord, would you free us from that legalism? And we understand that doesn't mean we get to do whatever we want to do. We still have to obey you. We still have to come under the authority of your word. But the reality is that when we have your life within us, it actually is light and easy. It is refreshing. It's life-giving, not life-taking. Lord, I just pray that for everyone who's just tired and overwhelmed and just being pressed down, you would give rest to our souls. So Lord, let us take on your life, not just your teaching, not just information, not even just little Bible verses, but take on your life. Lord, may we be your disciples, which is not a study curriculum, it's a lifestyle. Lord, could we take on your life, take on how you live and why you live, and not just what you teach. Because when we live the life of Jesus, maybe perhaps better said, when you live your life in and through us, Lord, it changes everything. So Lord, I pray that 
those who are listening would just become a demonstration in this culture of what the Christian life actually looks like. Which is not burden. It's not rules and regulations. It's life. It's a relationship. It's intimacy. And yeah, there are boundaries for our life. There are things we can and cannot do, but the focus is not on the can and cannot do. The focus is on you. And Lord, if there's anything outside of your life, why would I want to participate in it? Because in you is the fullness of joy. In you is the essence of life. In you is all the truth. In you is life itself. So anything outside of you, Jesus, is merely death. So Lord, let us walk in the life, in the light, in the reality of an easy yoke. Lord, we love you. Just give you the praise and the glory. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen.